Today on the show, we will discuss how to look at and define your path. We will also answer a listener question about fear and insecurity. Visit thestoryofmepodcast.com to submit your own questions. Also, follow the link to the Facebook group so you can continue the conversation after the podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share it with a friend. I would also like to apologize in advance for some of the noise in today's recording as I am in India, probably the loudest, noisiest place in the world. You will occasionally hear some cars honking their horn. For my Indian listeners, this will be normal. For other people, it may be a little distracting. I try to edit it out as best I can. But hey, I'm in India and this is India. Thank you. Now let's get to it. Beautiful am I, bountiful am I, blissful am I, why? Welcome to the story of me with Amarjit Singh. This is where I share stories from my unconventional life and relate the psychological insights that I learned from these experiences. Each story will entertain you as well as increase your awareness of your own self-limiting patterns. Then, through the principles of yoga psychology, you will learn how to overcome the resistance that is holding you back from living a more fulfilling life. Join me every Tuesday for a new episode where I share my experiences in psychological understanding, interview guests, and answer listener questions. Now let's get started with the podcast that awakens your inner power through awareness and understanding. Welcome to the show. I'm Amarjit Singh. Thank you for joining me today. I'm going to answer a listener question today about fear and insecurity. This is something that we can relate to at different levels in different aspects of our life. And so I think this question will be helpful to many people. Before I answer this question, I would like to get into a discussion about how to define your path, how to look at your path, and determine what your path is in life. When we look at your path, We have to define some things. When we talk about self-realization or anything that's abstract like this, words are very clumsy because they're only close approximations of experiences that are very internal or very subtle. And unfortunately, words don't really capture many of these experiences, but it's important to be able to articulate something as close as possible to try to understand it. Because we can feel something and understand it that way, but if we're able to articulate it as accurately as possible, then we are able to look at it in a clearer way. And I can relate this to a funny experience I had when I was interviewing for jobs after graduate school. So I had just finished up or I was finishing up with my MBA in finance and financial management. And I was interviewing with an investment bank. Actually, this was for a summer internship. It was between my first and second year. And I I 
didn't have direct investment banking experience up until this point. And I went to this interview and the person started to ask me, first they asked me what my GPA is. And my GPA was okay in, in graduate school. It wasn't great, but it was okay. In undergrad, it wasn't so great, but it was all right. And then he asked me, what was your score on the GMAT, which was a, an examination you had to take to get into business school? And I'm not very good at standardized tests. If you give me this test in all the time in the world, I can, I can do very well, but I'm not very good at standardized tests. And there, I think there were two sections, if I remember, three sections. And so I took the, I must have taken this test uh, five times. I, I don't remember. Maybe I have the record. And I would do very well in one section and very poor in the next section. So the next time I took it, it would be the opposite. I would do very poor on that section I did well on last time. And, and I kept doing it this way. And finally, I got a decent score, good enough to get me into graduate school, a decent graduate school. So the person asked me, what I scored on this. And I asked him, I said, am I going to have to take exams here and do homework? Why are you asking me these questions? Instead of trying to make excuses why I didn't do so well, I just said, oh, I must have got one of the lowest scores ever, which was not true. But I just wanted to to get him to stop asking me these silly questions. And I, I said, you know what? I said, you're you're not asking me the right questions. You know, these questions you're asking me are because of my experience. And if you look at answering a question, because this is really when you're asking yourself if this person has experience, what you're asking, do they understand the framework to regurgitate a answer to the common questions? With the internet, you can ask any, almost anyone a, a question, and, and at least me, you can ask the question, and within a reasonable amount of time, I will get you the best answer available through research. And so I told this person this. I said, really, problems get solved by asking the right question. This is what I'm good at, I told the guy. I said, I'm good at asking the right question. Anyone can find the answer, but I can ask the right question. And he said, well, how do I know that you can ask the right question? I go, this is a question you have to ask yourself. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I got the job, but it, it was funny. I had some very funny, strange interviews when you're as interviewing for a business school. Uh, I had one question, getting off the topic for a minute. I had this interview uh, for a job as a consultant I passed the first round of interviewing, and so they invited me to their main office in San Francisco, and they flew me out there for the day for an interview. And when I was there, I'm supposed to interview with four different people. One is a partner in the consulting company. Uh, the second was the human resource person, and I think the third person was someone who would be a, a one level above me if I joined, and then the fourth person, no, there's three, three people, so it's just these three. And so I interviewed with the partner, and this went very well. They give you, in, in these type of interviews, they give you case studies. And so they gave me a, a case study and said, if you were in this situation and the company needed this, what would you do? And, and so I w had experience consulting, and, and I gave my opinion. 
And he said, oh, very good. This is, was a, from a client we had, and we did just about the same thing that you said. So this was very good. Okay. So this interview went well. Interview with the human resource person, and this is, you know, how do you feel and these types of questions. And, and so we went through this. The third interview was different. And so in investment banking and consulting, they'd like to ask you these questions to try to determine how you think. They'll say, how many people stay at the Plaza Hotel in one year? And they know you don't know this amount, but they want you to think, okay, if there's this much capacity and there's this season and this season, they want to see how you come up with your answer. And so in this third interview, they, they gave me a paper to read, and it was about the post office losing money and how can they change the way they operate so that they're not losing so much money. And so this was pretty straightforward, and I, I gave my opinion, and the woman said, okay, I have another question uh, for you, and I will ask this question. It's not written down. And I said, okay. She said, how would you describe a telephone to an alien? And, <laughs> and yeah, they give you very strange questions. I, I've heard other people have had strange questions too, and, and I'm trying to think, what do they want me to think about, or how do they want me to think this? And uh, so I, I said, well, if an alien were to make it here from a different planet or a different dimension, their technology would be so far above ours that I probably wouldn't need to explain much. I would make a telephone call and that let them watch me. And uh, I think this would be enough for them to figure out how to use the phone. And so I don't know if this was a good answer or a bad answer. And we went on with the interview. And and, uh, and then, you know, typically at the end of an interview, they ask you, do you have any questions for me? And so the woman asked me this. She said, do you have any questions for me? And without thinking about it, I didn't consciously, it just came out. I, I, I don't know who was controlling this question. I said, yes. How would you describe a telephone to an alien? <laughs> And the look on her face was well worth not getting this job offer. Uh, it, it, it was great. She said, oh, I can't tell you. I still have more people to interview. And I go, what do you think? I'm going to go tell other people? Give me your, your answer. How? <laughs> and so uh, she didn't do this. And, and uh, this is the only interview at, during graduate school that I went on that I did not get the job offer. But I'll tell you. It was well worth it to see the look on her face when I asked her this question. Anyway, what I'm talking about is learning how to ask the right question to see what's happening within you. And, and since these words are, are just close approximations, we want to try to be as articulate as, as we can in defining how we look at our journey, how we determine what our path is and what our role is within this path. But the other risk we take when we rely too much on words is that we start to make these words turn into thoughtful borders that prevent us from looking deeply. And this is what definitions are, right? They're a way that we can agree upon the meaning of something without examining it further. And so we want to, at one point, be able to articulate something as precisely as possible but also not to allow these words to restrict what experience we're having.
And so it's it's this kind of way of, of trying to understand these abstract ideas. The better we can understand some of them, then we can start to experience the more abstract or the more subtle experiences. And so to begin with, we have to understand what it means to have a path, right, or to be on a path. When we don't have the correct perspective, we don't really understand what path we're on, so how can we define which direction we're going or where we need to go or how to recognize it and how to connect to it? And one common thing that I I hear all the time from people in the yoga environment or, or in this framework of the spiritual path. People always refer to this, for example, I came from the background of business and, and people said, well, when did you decide to make spirituality your path? When people say this, they don't really understand life in, in the essence When someone from the business world asks me this, I I can understand a little better. But when people from yoga community ask me this question, you have to understand that they don't really understand this path. They don't understand who they are because really there is no such thing as a spiritual path. And let me explain this. So who are you? Again, almost every episode we're going to come to this question at some point, but who are you? You're this spiritual being who is having a human experience through the mind and body vehicle. And whether you're a banker, a policeman, a lawyer, or a yoga teacher, we're all the same in this essence. Everyone is on the spiritual path because we are the spirit. And so this is why when I hear people who have been doing yoga for so long and living in this lifestyle say, I'm on the spiritual path, they go, everyone is on the spiritual path. Even the person who's in jail for murder, the banker who is hoarding money, the monk who is meditating in a cave, everyone is on the spiritual path because your essence is the spiritual being who's come here to try to recognize the truth to live and understand your karma, to live your dharma, and to experience the truth within. Now, how many people are conscious of this is a different question, and maybe this is what people mean when they say they're on the spiritual path, is that they've become more conscious of this. But everyone is on this path. So the question is then, how conscious of this are you? And so this is like walking down a street. Everyone can be walking down the same street, but some people may know the name of the street. They know where the turns of the street are, or they may even know just what to look for. And other people may walk down the street and get distracted by the things they find and encounter along the street. And this is the way to look at your path. As everyone is walking down the street, some people are distracted by the shiny objects that they find on this path, while others are focused on where they're going and they know just where to go, or at least how to look for it and how to ask the questions to the people they encounter. 
and everyone falls in between uh, of these things. And so this is the way to really look at this is to understand that there's no such thing as a spiritual path. It's just how aware of the process of life are you? How aware of finding your your connection to this experience and how well you are at expressing this? So it's almost like ego when people say they're on the spiritual path because what they're really doing is saying that they're better than other people, but everyone is on the same path. And we want to eliminate this ego that I'm doing something better than other people because this this is untrue. And it's just judgment. Some people may be distracted. Some people may think that having lots of money or a big house or, or fame is going to bring them the satisfaction that they desire. And other people think yoga is going to bring them this satisfaction. There's ways to operate in both lifestyles and become self-realized depending on this relationship you have with all the objects in your life. Sometimes it's necessary to go in a particular direction and realize that this is not the right path. This is not the right way to express yourself. And I can tell you from my experience that when you look at your path, I remember reading uh, Osho a long time ago, and he had this comment that self-realization is for the rich. I think when he meant rich, it wasn't for people who are millionaires, but maybe people who are economically comfortable where they didn't have the worries of, of poverty. And he said this because he said, when you're poor, you think all your problems are because you don't have enough money, enough resources. And once you start to have all these resources, then you realize that you're still not happy. And so you have to start to look within for happiness. And this is why you see so many psychological issues in rich societies compared to poor societies. Because the people in these richer societies recognize that they have all these toys or all these things that they could ever possibly need, yet they're still not happy. From my own perspective, I, I, you know, at 17 years old, I was sleeping in my car without a home. I remember thinking that I can't live like this. This is not the path for me to be poor like this. So I said, I want to be rich, the American dream. And I worked and worked and worked and went to school for many years it was not easy, but eventually I started to make some money. And I started to be very comfortable. I had a nice expensive car. I lived a couple blocks from the beach in California. I can go to any, almost any restaurant I wanted. I can go fly here or there if I want to take a trip. I was pretty comfortable. Yet I was still not that happy not as happy as you would think, you still have the same problems, still have the same difficulties, the same challenges. Then you start to say, I need to really 
find out what's going on within me to make me happy, to make me feel content. Because how much money is it going to take to change this feeling? And when you start to make money, you realize it's not going to change. And so this is when I started to really look inside and start to have this awakening over a couple-year period is when I first started to make some serious money. I started to really look inside myself and, and understand, well, what is my path? If I continue doing what I'm doing now, I will be a millionaire. But am I going to be happy? Am I going to feel satisfied? So then you go to work and you realize that when you're at work, you're waiting to leave. You're waiting for the weekend. You're waiting for these times because, at least for me, I was not really enjoying what I was doing. I found it didn't really represent my capacity in the way that I wanted to. And then I started to say, well, what is my capacity? And what is it that I want to do? So I started to look at how we interact with life. And I looked at all my jobs I had. I've had jobs uh, starting in construction work to investment banker on Wall Street, strategic planner for a biotech company. And, and now at this point, I'm working for Disney Studios, uh, my last corporate job doing financial managing and planning for their uh, studios. And you start to ask yourself, well, what is next? Which direction do I go to? What do I want to do? And at the same time, too, I was also performing on the weekends as a stand-up comedian and, and during the week as well, here and there. And I started to do this kind of as a hobby when I was in graduate school, and it started to become more enjoyable. And then one day I, I said, I, I can't work in this corporation anymore. I can't work in this environment. I'm not enjoying myself. And, and yeah, I'm making good money and it's a nice lifestyle, but it's not sufficient. And I had an opportunity to go on a tour throughout the U.S. doing stand-up comedy with an older comedian who asked if I wanted to go with him and be his opening act. And at that point, I quit Disney Studios, and I, the next day or two days later, I, I forget exactly, but I started to, to go on a, a few-week tour of the U.S. doing comedy. It's very strange to be on stage and, and in the middle of doing what you're doing and look around and say, how did I get here? And why am I here? And I start to look at all my experiences. I start to look at when I worked on Wall Street, what was I doing? But I was advising corporations or the heads of the corporations on anything that had to do with ownership and valuation of their company. And when I worked for the biotech company, I was advising them the best opportunities they had for planning their future, whether this was buying a, a division or selling a division of their company. Then when I was doing stand-up comedy, what was I doing? But I was expressing my ideas of how I see things. And so it started to dawn on me that, yeah, there were a few jobs where maybe I wasn't being so expressive, like construction work or, or some little jobs I had. But generally speaking, all the positions that I gravitated towards were related to me making observations and then expressing these observations. 
and advising people on these observations. And so people would tell me, oh, you changed your life so much. You went from this career to that career to that career, and you changed your path. You know, imagine you're, you're looking at a roadmap, and you're driving down a, a highway, and maybe your path is to go to a particular area, whether it's a state and you're driving through the country, and to get to that state and continue driving around that state. Or maybe your path was the road that goes straight through that state. So you're driving and then you experience that state, whatever state that is, and then you continue on that same road, but that road goes past the state and then you're in a different state. And so what I'm trying to get at is that when people say that I've changed my path, I don't see it this way. I see it that I was driving through this part of the, the path and it just was, I just kept on that road and going through the path where for other people, their path turned into that area and stayed in that area and they drove around in that area where I just went through it and I went through it to experience something. And I can tell you when I first went to work on Wall Street, I was 26, I think somewhere around there. And I told you at 17, I'm sleeping in my car. I, I, I don't have a, a place to sleep and, and no job and no money. And, and when I went from California to New York to work on Wall Street, these people I worked with went to Harvard, went to Yale. They were, their parents went to these schools. They went to prep schools, and it was a very different environment. And when they spoke, it sounded like flowers coming out of their mouth compared to how I spoke at the time. And when I had to write reports and things like that, I didn't know how to do this like, like they did because of their background of where they grew up. And so this was something I learned is how to express myself in this position. And sure, the vocabulary is very different than the vocabulary I use now, but it's still the same thing. I still expressed myself in the same way, but just with different vocabulary in a different environment. And in this environment... It was not enough. I felt incomplete. And this is how to find your path is your journey, your objective is to find the most complete way to express yourself. Because again, going back to who are you? Uh, you guys are going to get tired of me asking this question, but, but who are you is you are this creative consciousness. And you are the creative manifestation of the creator. Let me repeat that. You are the creative manifestation of the creator. Whatever this means to you as far as the creator, but you are the creator's manifestation. And this creator is this creative energy. And what does creativity manifest? It manifests art. And so you are this art. You are this creative being that was manifest by our creator. What is 
the objective of art. The objective of art is to express itself. This is your inner drive to express yourself completely. And you think about the times where it's difficult to express yourself, how frustrating this is, and how incomplete you feel, right? We get into an argument with someone or a discussion or disagreement with someone, and if you're unable to express your ideas, you get frustrated with yourself, and then you start yelling at that person if they're not listening to you and paying attention to you, because we don't like to be misunderstood. We don't like to feel that we can't express what we're experiencing. And this goes back to this idea of words are just close approximations of experience, but it's important to learn to articulate yourself well enough to understand the experience. When you get to a certain level, words are not necessary, but to look at things like we're talking about today, about your path and about these, these things, it's important to understand just this simple idea that there's no real distinction between the people who are on a spiritual path and people who are not. I think this is an important distinction to make because it starts to let you understand better what's really going on here. What are you really doing in life? If you can't ask these questions and, and understand these questions, you're, you're going to have a more difficult time finding meaning in, in your path. Your objective is to try to find the most complete way to express yourself and look at all these experiences that you do as ways to learn better in how you're expressing yourself. It doesn't matter if they're different, what people would say, careers or different industries. You're using the same tools. Look at what your strengths are in expressing yourself and how it's the same in all these facets of your life. From when you were a child till now, what is your strengths in expressing yourself? For me, it was this capacity to be able to put words to abstract ideas and simplify them and make them very simple to understand was my strength. And looking back, I did this in every aspect of my life. I was always trying to find what is the truth here and how to get to it in a very direct way. What you need to do is to look at yourself. How do you find yourself in these experiences? How do you find yourself experiencing it? And there are four things that I think are very important to understand when we look at your path and deciding on which path you should take. The first one is happiness is not the path. Coming from a, a yogi in, in an environment where people are doing yoga or the self-improvement, this seems like it's the objective of everyone, happiness. What I'm telling you is if you make this your objective, you're going to suffer and you will not succeed as long as happiness is your objective. It can be the byproduct, but it can't be the sole goal because happiness is temporary. And if you base your success and your, your feelings on anything temporary, you're bound to suffer. This is the beginning principles of Buddhism. 
And there are times that you will be happy and times that you won't be. And, and we can see how this plays out every, every day. What happens in January of each year is everyone makes a New Year's resolution. Many of the people say, I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to start doing yoga and I want to be happy. And so what happens? You go to the gym in January and it's very crowded. How about March? How about April? Yeah, by February, people are dropping out. By March, it becomes empty. And, and why is that? Why in January is it crowded, but then in March, it's not? It's because you're trying to make happiness your path. And so you go to the gym in January and you start to work out and you start to feel better about yourself. You physically, you start to feel good. You, you start eating healthy and your life starts to improve a little bit because you're taking care of yourself. And this is a good representation of self-love is to take care of yourself. And so you feel better. But then... You do this, and, and by the end of January, maybe the beginning of February, something happens in your life. You break up a relationship, you lose your job, or, or something happens, anything. And you're not feeling happy anymore. It's an old pattern. You say, why am I going to the gym? I don't even feel happy. It's not working. The same thing with people who are doing yoga. They stopped going to yoga. I wasn't, it wasn't working. It, I didn't feel good after a while. I was having trouble with my life still. What is happening is, is you're making your path the path of happiness. And when this changes, because it's bound to change, I, I don't know anyone who's happy 100% of the time. And I've met people who are self-realized. I've met all kinds of people. No one. When you inevitably encounter some, something in life that takes away this happiness, you feel discouraged and so you stop. The path should not be happiness. The path is self-awareness. This is the path. The path to life is self-awareness and self-expression. In this path, sometimes it goes very well and sometimes it doesn't, but it's all there to help you learn about yourself. And if you understand this, then you don't get discouraged as easily when things are not going so well. You understand that this is just how it is. It, it will change as well. The happiness will change, and so will the sadness, the depression, all the problems. Everything will change. Do not be attached to the happiness, and don't be attached to the sadness, because they both will change. And sure, when you go down this path of yoga and self-expression, Eventually, the byproduct is that you understand this better, so you're able to let go of the difficulties much easier, and so the happiness starts to encompass more of your life. It starts to penetrate the parts that are not happy. So even when things are not going so well, you learn how to find happiness in this and comfort in it. Happiness is the byproduct of this idea of self-realization so the path of self-realization should be paved with self-expression. Because as you try to express yourself, 
you start to have issues, difficulties. And you have to remove these difficulties to express yourself more clearly. You can see that in an example. Let's say that I have to give a speech. And maybe the speech I have is the cure for all the, the problems in the world. If I'm trying to articulate myself and I'm using a lot of peripheral language, like, um, okay, you know what I'm saying? Okay, uh, like uh, this, and, and um, it's distracting. It takes away from my message. My expression is not clear. If instead I'm able to articulate the right word at the right moment to the right degree, my message is very clear. I remove all the distractions and my self-expression becomes heard and I feel more content. And this is what you need to do is to find some way to express yourself and recognize what's preventing this. And whatever is preventing this, work on removing it. Understand it. And this is how self-expression is the path to self-realization. It's the path also to fulfillment. Because when you're able to fully express yourself, you feel fulfilled. The issues we have with this, because of what's ingrained in our society, we start to look at things in a very linear way. And I can tell you my own experience with this. When I quit Disney and I started to become a full-time stand-up comedian and writer, very quickly you realize that in the beginning there's no money in this. And you have to change your lifestyle. So going from living near the beach to living in a place that's not so nice, selling my car because I can't afford a nice new car, this is psychologically very difficult for most people, including me at the time, because you work so hard for this economic reward that when you go from a nice house to a not-so-nice house, from a nice car to a not-so-nice car, you start to look at this as going backwards. This is something that you have to fight because you are proud. You identify with this achievement that you made, going from living in my car at 17 years old to making lots of money and then to making no money again. And so you start to say, well, I'm going backwards. Even if you're not articulating this, in your mind you think this. Every time you get out of this car that's not as nice as the last car you had or you're living in a neighborhood, that's not quite as nice as next to the beach. So you start to understand that maybe I'm going backwards because this idea of our reward system to ourselves and to society is we see this as going backwards and we put comfort and economics above experience. And this is what is very difficult for most people to break, especially after you've achieved a particular level. You say, I, I can't go back. But you have to not look at it this. You have to look at it as, now I'm able to try to express myself in a better way. And so now I, I look at how I'm able to express myself a little more completely because I'm creating a different environment. This is what you need to do is to remember not to put comfort in economics above experience. Because after 90 years or 100 years or however long you live, 
what is it that you're going to feel good about? I can tell you my experiences of traveling this world and, and even running out of money in, in third world countries is much better than making money doing something that I wasn't connected to. To change your mindset is very difficult, but it's important. The other thing that's very important and very difficult, the last thing that I'll leave you with, is how to take chances to change your life. It's not that we're afraid of what is going to happen, but we're afraid of losing what we already know. I remember when I was in Nepal, I had gone to Lumbini, the birthplace of Buddha, and I stayed in a monastery there, a Buddhist monastery. And I, I don't know how long I stayed there. I stayed there quite a bit. And it was time for me to leave this Buddhist monastery that was behind this gate in this compound. And I didn't really go outside of this compound because there's really nothing much outside of it. And I stayed inside of it. And the day I had to leave, or the morning, I had woken up very early and the sun had not risen yet. And I made my way out the gates of the monastery. And like I said, I had been in this monastery for a while and wasn't familiar with the roads or the neighborhood or which direction I was supposed to go. And I walk out the gate and the fog was so thick that I could not see more than 20 feet in front of me. And I was frozen. There's no one around to talk to. There's nothing. And, and I didn't know which direction to go. Do I go right? Do I go left? Which way do I? I couldn't see. And I started to, to worry. I said, oh, if I go the wrong direction, what's going to happen? And I didn't know which way the right way is. I then took a moment, and I looked at the fog that filled this path. And along the path, there were these beautiful trees. It was so beautiful. I took my phone out. I took a photo of this beautiful fog and came to this idea that I'm going to leave you with today. Not knowing where your path will take you is the magic of life. Don't let it be the thing that holds you back. So if you want, you can go to the storyofmepodcast.com to see the photo of this experience uh, that I'm talking about now. It's a nice photo, and it reminds me of this idea of, of not letting the unknown hold you back. And understand that this is magic, because you don't know what's going to happen. It can be something so beautiful. I'd like to tell you about Sing Flutes. These are flutes that are made by me. They're handcrafted Native American-style flutes designed for sound healing. The flutes are tuned to the frequency of 432 hertz, the harmonic intonation of nature. The fundamental note of each flute is in a key to vibrate a particular chakra. Whether you are playing for others or yourself, listening to 432 hertz music resonates inside the body. In fact, they did a medical study where they hooked people up to a brain and heart monitor and played different instruments to them. The Native American-style flute had the most impact in relaxing them. 
If you're a yoga teacher, it's a great instrument to incorporate into your classes. What I do is I have an app on my iPad that has the sounds of nature, and I'll put on the sounds of rain and play over this to the students at the end of the class. It's a very intuitive instrument to play. There's no musical knowledge necessary to get started. Each flute is unique since they're handmade. I put different artwork on them. I put mantras on them related to the chakras that they're tuned to. So go check them out at singflutes.com, S-I-N-G-H-F-L-U-T-E-S.com. Use the discount code, the story of me podcast and get 10% off. Today's question was written to us, and the subject line is The Entity of Fear. Satnam, I just came from a five-day immersion workshop, and I had a very profound realization about fear. The teacher spoke of pain as a gate and the anger as a guard at the entrance. So basically, we can transform into a warrior that goes against this anger inside ourselves. I'm interested in this topic as I'm quite fearless, but very insecure sometimes, and I go into anger, because I fear the anger that can come up when there is karmic pain. How do I transform the actions into dharma and fearlessness? Thank you. Blessings, Giada. Okay, thank you for the question, Giada. Let's look at this a little closer. So the first thing is, we talked about anger in the last episode, so if you haven't heard this, go back to this episode. Anger is this protection against some kind of trauma, and once you go below the anger, you'll start to see that there's sadness because there's pain from emotional trauma. And so I'm not going to spend so much time on this aspect of it as we talked about this last time. What I'll do now is get into This idea of fear and insecurity, because this is something that everyone can relate to for many reasons. So let's look at fear. And the first thing we want to do is to say, where does fear exist? Is it in the shoulder, the arms, the legs, the hands, the fingers? Where does fear exist? And what I'm getting at is fear exists in the mind. I'm not saying that the fear is valid or invalid, but I'm just saying the origins of it are in the mind. What happens is we see something or we think something or we feel something. We we get something from one of the senses. And it creates a thought. Often this thought is unconscious, and we're unaware that we had the thought. We just start feeling the sensation that comes from the thought. Other times we're conscious of the thought, and we still feel the sensation. Many times you you may start to feel afraid before you understand what the fear is because it was an unconscious thought based on your past experiences, your history, will make you have these thoughts that will identify fear in different things, not saying that it's valid or invalid. So you think this fear, and then this vibration of this thought 
creates a vibration in the body which we call an emotion or a feeling. And so then we start to experience the physical aspect of this fear. But if your mind is subtle enough, you can experience it in the thought itself. Either way, you start to experience this vibration of fear. Then the body starts to react to it. And this happens with all your habit patterns. You you observe something from one of the senses. Your mind decides if you like it or if you don't like it, if you desire it, if you uh, have aversion to it, whatever it may be. And then it creates this sensation within the body as a result of this identification of this thought from the senses. And so you have this feeling of fear based on this thought. And in your case, this fear that I'm not going to be enough. And then this fear creates a behavior. This happens with every type of emotion, right? We experience an emotion, and based on our history, we react to that emotion in a particular way. People do this when they feel sad or depressed or not good about themselves. They start to experience this feeling, and then they try to manipulate this feeling through behaviors, whether they take intoxicants or, or they eat when they're not hungry or they eat bad food. They do something to try to change the way they feel. Everyone does this to some extent, and we'll get into this in one of the other episodes in, in greater detail. But basically, we try to manipulate how we feel through behaviors, and this is what our habit patterns are. Every time I feel sad, I do this. Every time I feel angry, I do this. And the habit patterns are sometimes to do something, and sometimes the habit patterns are to do nothing when you should do something. So fear is no different than this. So we create this feeling of this fear, and then we react to this feeling. Of course, there are times where this is valid. If we're in a dangerous situation physically and we need to react to save ourselves from getting hit by a car crossing a dangerous street or or, uh, walking through a neighborhood that's maybe not safe, the fear is valid because we're in an environment that we need to be alert. What we're talking about here is a little different because we're talking about this fear of insecurity. We can look at this fear through an example. Imagine that you have to give a speech. You're afraid to go in front of people and speak. Now, depending on how strong that sensation is, how strong that thought is, and what your history with this experience is, will depend on how you react to it. And so if this fear is so strong, you will find a way to avoid giving that speech and getting up in front of people. And maybe this is your habit pattern. You always avoided this. So if you were in a class, they were selecting people to go and speak. You went to the bathroom or you hid or you made sure that it wasn't you because this is how you dealt with this fear. This was your reaction. Or or you didn't even put yourself in a situation that would allow there to be this possibility that you would have to get up and speak. You avoided it. 
So let's say that in this situation, you have to make this choice now. You have to go up and speak or you have to run away because th these are your two choices. So if you decide at this time, I'm feeling so afraid, I'm going to walk away and, and I'm not going to give the speech, the next time you're put in that position, that fear will be stronger. This is what we call identification. You've identified with this sensation and this thought so strongly that it made you behave a particular way. This is false identification. You identify with something that is not true, meaning not who you are. Anything temporary is not you. And so now let's look at the other possibility. Let's say that you decide, okay, I'm afraid, but I'm going to give this speech anyway. You fight yourself. You say, okay, I have this fear, it's very strong, but I'm still going to give the speech. And you give the speech. And maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't go well. It's not quite so important. But the next time the opportunity comes where you have to give a speech and you went against this fear through the sensation and the thought and you did it anyway, what you're doing is you're training yourself to go against this idea of false identification. In fact, this is what the physical aspect of yoga is really about, is about learning how to not identify with your mind and not identify with the feelings. When you're holding a posture and it's getting very difficult or painful, you can give in to that and give up. Or you can say, I'm not going to let this posture down. I don't care what happens to me. And then what you're doing is you're learning how to break this attachment to your thinking. You're learning how to break this attachment to the sensations within the body. And this is what the physical aspect of yoga, a big part of it is about this. It's about learning how to let go of these false identifications and get through this pain or, or discomfort in these postures. And so in life, we can do this as well when we have, for example, this fear of giving the speech. So we go up and we give the speech, then the next time it becomes just a little bit easier because we've already loosened the grip of this false identification. The same thing goes with everything. In fact, this is a big aspect of getting over depression, We'll get into depression because this deserves its own episode, but when we speak about the general type of depression, not the depression caused by physical injuries or head trauma or something like this, but just the general day-to-day -day depression, one of the things of getting over it, why it takes some people so long is because they're so identified with the thinking that it takes them a while to let go of this identification. Slowly, they start to feel better about themselves, and that identification gets looser and looser until eventually it breaks. And so what you're talking about when you're talking about fear or, or sadness or any of these things is you're talking about false identification. This false identification that you're writing about is based on insecurity. And this insecurity comes from feeling that you are not enough. And so let's look at this idea for a moment. We can get a little uh, deep for a second. Who is not enough? 
To answer this question, we have to understand who you are. You are not anything that is temporary. Anything that is temporary changes. Anything that is temporary will eventually die. Even if it's not alive, a uh, computer eventually will disintegrate into dust given enough time. So anything that changes eventually dies, we can say. Through the perspective of yoga, the consciousness never dies. The soul, whatever you want to call it, it never dies. It just continues. And if it never dies, this means that it never changes. Right? Because we said anything that changes will eventually die, including things that are inanimate. They will eventually disintegrate. The true self never dies. It continues. If it never dies, that means it never changes. So if it never changes, it's either one of two things. It's either perfect or imperfect. But whatever it is, it cannot be its opposite. Do you understand this? So anything that changes will eventually die. And so if the true self, this consciousness, this soul never changes, that means that it's either perfect or imperfect, but it cannot become what it is not. And so let's assume that it's perfect. And if it's already perfect, where is this feeling of insecurity or this feeling of not being enough because the true self is already perfect? Where does this insecurity come from when it comes from your perception, again, from the mind? And like the idea of fear, it comes from the attachment to this thought and to the feeling that thought creates. Now we can get into where this insecurity has been developed. This can be helpful, but in this instance, we're not going to get into that. We're just going to get into this aspect that the true you is already perfect. The only thing that changes is your perception of this being of who you are. And just like the fear of getting up and giving a speech in front of people, when you're able to let go of this identification with the thought and the feeling, then you're able to act independently of this fear. And the same thing when it comes to insecurity and this feeling of not being enough. When you're able to act independently of this feeling, you're able to overcome it. So if we look at this example of fear and getting up and giving the speech, I'm not saying to suppress the fear or that the fear should go automatically go away, but it should not affect what you need to do. And the same thing with this insecurity. It's not going to automatically go away. And we'll talk about self-love in one of the episodes and, and how to cultivate this in yourself. Just because you feel insecure and feel not enough, make sure that it's not affecting your behavior. It's not affecting your action. It's okay to have the fear. It's okay to have the insecurity, but don't let it get in the way of the actions. And the more strength you have over the mind, the easier this is. The more strength you have over your mind, the easier it is to exercise your will to go against these feelings. And again, this is what the physical aspect of yoga is, is 
you're holding these postures and you have to go against the mind that's telling you to let go of the posture, relax the posture. It's too difficult for you. You can't do it. And you have to fight this with your concentration. And this is what you're cultivating in yoga. You're cultivating your capacity to concentrate your focus on what is best for the true you. And so when this insecurity or this fear comes up, is to recognize how it's affecting your actions and your behavior, and then to understand how to behave in a way that is true to the true self and not based on this impulses of the mind and the emotions, right? And this is what we talked about before about true freedom, is when you're able to resist the impulses of the mind and the body, you're truly free. And this takes a deep concentration, and it takes a focus, and it takes consciousness to recognize when this fear or when this insecurity is affecting your behavior, right? We have to be able to use the mind and the body together. Often we try to separate them. We try to say, I am only making decisions based on my logical thinking or People say, I'm only making decisions based on the way I feel. And both ways are wrong. Because the one, if you're just doing it based on how you feel, you're giving in to impulse. And you're neglecting the mind. And if you do the opposite, where you say, I'm just using my mind and I'm going to exclude how I feel and be logical, this only works if you're doing mathematics. Otherwise, you're not connected to your decision. True decisions come from connecting the mind and the body. And so to say, how do I feel? What is this feeling causing me to want to do or not do? Then, with the mind, what is the right thing to do? And this is how you make a fully conscious decision in anything. But especially when we're talking about understanding these habit patterns, this is what I'm feeling. This feeling is causing me to want to do this or not do this, right? When we talked about the speech, just to experience and say, this feeling that I'm experiencing is causing me to want to run away and not give this speech. Then with the mind, well, what is the correct thing to do? Well, the correct thing is to go give the speech. How much control you have over your mind in the fact that you can concentrate it to do as you wish will determine how free you are how easily you're able to manifest what you want to do in life without letting these feelings interfere and without suppressing the feelings, experience them. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a big problem if you repress them. This is the saying that it's not that people are not afraid. It's that they're able to act even when they are afraid. And the same thing with all these feelings, this insecurity. There's nothing wrong with feeling insecure, but don't allow it to interfere with your actions. Be conscious of it. What we're talking about is being able to control the mind and the reaction of the mind. Whether we're talking fear and security or we're talking about sadness or we're talking about your struggles, whatever they may be, look at the thought that's creating them, 
the feelings that these thoughts create and then the reaction, the behavior that comes from these. And if you're able to recognize how it's affecting your behavior and your, your actions and say, well, I see what it's doing, but I'm not going to allow it to do that, then this is the control of the mind and this is the strengthening of the mind. And this is what the physical aspect of yoga is great for. Any, any physical activity like martial arts is all about strengthening the concentration. You know, when you sit down in these meditation retreats and you're sitting there for 10 hours a day meditating without moving. Now, this is difficult in the fact that a lot of pain arises Right? We, we say, oh, the legs start to hurt, they start to, the knees start to hurt, the butt starts to hurt, the shoulders, the back. You're doing 10 hours a day for up to months. And the pain can get very bad, especially in the beginning. And the trick is to recognize that you're experiencing this pain, but not react to it. And this is a challenge. It takes a lot of concentration because we want to find a way to avoid the pain. But when you control your mind to say, I, I can feel this, but I'm not going to let it change my posture, then it becomes easier. In fact, this is the story of Buddha. When he became self-realized, he had tried for so long, and finally he sat, sat under the Bodhi tree and said, I'm not going to move until I become self-realized. I'm not going to move my leg. It can fall off. I'm not going to move anything until I become self-realized. From people who become realized, this is the last step of self-realization is to surrender. And the same thing with all everything that happens in your life is to surrender and say, I can experience this, but I'm not going to let it affect me. Because when we start to resist it, is when it affects us, because the resistance is what's causing your habit patterns. So this resistance to the fear, which is this anger, you're getting angry because you're getting uh, afraid and feeling insecure, and the anger is the resistance, and this anger is perpetuating it. This fear of being insecure, of not being enough, is then being perpetuated by the behavior that reinforces it. So then you don't try as hard because you think, I'm not good enough to do this, and what happens is then you start to live this way because the story that you tell yourself is going to determine the story that you live. This is really important to understand when we talk about how the mind and the body work together is that the way we communicate with ourselves and the way we, we react to this communication will determine how we live the quality of our life. If we don't feel good about ourselves, we start to create a life that represents this. If we say, I'm not good enough, we don't take the risks. We don't look for opportunities to do better because we don't feel we deserve it, or we try to compensate. What can make me feel enough? Maybe I have to please people. Maybe I have to be more than I need to be, and we see this all the time people who are trying to please everyone because they feel they're not enough. And we do this in many different aspects. 
So this is what's happening here with this fear of being insecure. So we can deal with this in a couple ways. One, the main way is to understand when these feelings arise, how they're affecting your actions, your behavior, your decisions. And then to make sure that we're able to get past these and not let them impact our life. This is, again, being able to concentrate and say, I'm afraid, but I'm still going to do this. Or I'm insecure, but I'm still going to take this opportunity to do something where I don't feel I'm good enough. I'm going to do it anyway. There's a saying, fake it till you make it which can have many interpretations, but the main interpretation that we're looking at this time is to pretend that you are this person that's good enough, to pretend that you're this person that has no fear. And what would this person do in this situation? And then continue to do this until you become this person. This is how we can interpret the saying, fake it till you make it, is to go through these actions of the person who would do this. And you can think of this in yourself. For example, if you're in a, a relationship, there are people who have difficulty with healthy relationships because they don't feel good about themselves and they're tolerating behavior that's maybe not so healthy. And so what you can do is, with this idea of faking it until you make it, is to say, okay, let's think about someone who is very healthy and has good relationships. And now imagine them in my position. Would they accept what's happening to me right now? If the answer is no, they say, well, why am I accepting this? And so you start to imagine what an ideal person would do in this situation and then do it. Don't be overwhelmed by the feelings and the thoughts that are holding you back from this. This way of understanding this is the first step. The step that you can take in conjunction with this is to Learn how to let go of this identification in the form of the physical body. And again, we look at yoga as this complete system of psychology. One is becoming aware of the habit patterns, and the second is learning how to break them through the physical aspect of yoga. And so the physical aspect of yoga, we can look at the first chakra and the third chakra. The first chakra, the muladhara, is responsible for the will to live, for survival, and physical energy. When it isn't operating properly, we have a lack of energy, we feel that we don't belong, we have a difficult time relaxing, and we have fear. And this fear paralyzes you and also overtaxes the adrenal glands, which are related to the first chakra. When the first chakra is functioning properly, we feel grounded and we feel physically vital. We feel this vitality, this physical vitality that we're able to exercise our, our energy in any way we want. And so there are yoga postures that work on the first chakra. In, in all types of yoga, whether it's uh, Hatha yoga or Kundalini yoga or Ashtanga yoga, there are postures that will focus more or less on the first chakra. Then we have the third chakra, the Manipura. 
this is our ability to transform this internal energy and manifest it in our will. And it's also how we define ourselves. And so when it's operating strongly, we're able to be flexible, to be confident, and we're able to exercise our will, which is very important to be able to exercise your will to overcome obstacles and challenges, which we all experience. I will post some yoga postures from Kundalini Yoga, some Kriyas, in the Facebook group that are related to the first and third chakra. And I will also put these in the show notes on the website. So you can go to the podcast website and also see these or, or the Facebook group. And you can work on these two chakras or you can find your own kriyas and, and uh, yoga postures to, to work on these chakras. But work on these chakras at the same time of trying to become conscious of the thoughts and the feelings and how to not react to them. How to understand this idea that anything that changes dies and you do not change. Your consciousness does not change, so it's already perfect. Train your mind to see the perfection within. Train your mind to understand that you are already perfect. There is nothing to become. Let go of this idea that you are not enough because you are perfect. Manifest this internal perfection in all your actions, in all your thoughts. Love yourself and let this project into the love that you communicate in your environment. Okay, Giada, I think this answers your question. If you have any follow-up questions or, or want clarification on anything, please contact me or, or present the question into the Facebook group and, and let other people comment on this as well. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Again, submit your questions uh, through the website. You can go to the storyofmepodcast.com and go to the contact page. And there are two ways to submit your question. One, there's a button and you push this button and you just speak into your computer or your phone or whatever your device you're using and, and record your question. And then you hit send and it sends it to me and I can play this question on, on the podcast. And this is nice because I like to hear the voice behind the question, and uh, I think the listeners like to hear the emotion within the question to understand it more completely. Then the other way, if you'd like to, you can write it. Uh, there's a form you can fill out and send it to me, and I get the message, and like I did in this case, I can read it, uh, read the question, or you can present the question in the Facebook group, and I, I look in there for questions as well. Thank you for joining me today. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And if you know anyone that you feel would benefit from it, share it with them. Submit your questions at thestoryofmepodcast.com. Don't forget to do your homework and share the experience with me in the Facebook group. And connect with me on social media. Until next week, from the podcast that awakens your inner power through awareness and understanding... May love illuminate your path.